Welcome back to Call and Shots, everyone. Hope everyone's having a pleasant holiday period. Uh, folks in the Midwest like me, uh, stay warm. It is bitterly cold and will be for the next couple of days. Uh, good, good luck on your travels as well, since there's going to be some disruption, it sounds like. Anyway, uh, speaking of disruption, the Brooklyn Nets. No, I'm kidding. Um, joined today by, uh, by frequent guest uh, of The Athletic, Alex Schiffer, to talk about the suddenly very hot, irrelevant Brooklyn Nets. What's going on, man? Uh, thanks for thanks for joining me. Um, so I'll I'll admit that uh, after a lot of the you know the drama both on and off court, um, you know having some injuries, Ben Simmons looking not awesome to start the year, um, the the poor re- start record wise, I had kind of written the Nets off as a legitimate team this year, and all of a sudden. They're on a they're 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 playing great. They're up to fourth in the in the East, and quietly it seems like they're putting themselves back in the conversation. I say back in the conversation, but it doesn't really feel like there's a lot of discussion of them. Yeah, is, is that necessarily a bad thing? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> For this team, no. It's funny, you know. We uh, there was a practice a few days ago, or, or maybe we're going even back to last week a little bit. And, uh, you know, we're walking out and all the beat writers were kind of saying, you know, that might have been the first practice in a while where there was only basketball-related questions and not drama, turmoil, sky-spalling type stuff. So I uh, talk about, a, you know, you talk about a change in the season, starting to really feel the winter, starting to really feel the lack of, of craziness around here for the first time in a while. Do you miss it? <laughs> you know, um... I mean, I, I root for myself. I mean, I'm not going to lie that that stuff has been good for my career, but honestly, it's nice to actually just focus on the thing that's in front of you, not even have to worry about um, um, all the other stuff going on. So, you know, uh, asking if I miss it, I feel like would be stupid to just uh, act like there's a chance that it's never coming back again. So for right now, <laughs> I'm just trying to enjoy live in the moment. Sure. <laughs> Take it, take it one game at a time, just like a, like, just like, like a true pro you are. coach. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So what, like just strictly on the court, what has changed? Um, they've been the best offense in the league over the last couple of weeks. Um, they, they've been the best clutch team in the league this year. Is, is it just come down to that, that, that they, that, you know, it's a team based on incredible shot making. They're the best shot making team in the league this year. And that's, largely obviously due to, to Kevin Durant and, and Kyrie Irving. Um, but is it, is it as simple as that or what's, what's happened? What's been the transformation? I, I think it's a lot of things, honestly. Um, I think you have to go back to Steve Nash being replaced with Jacques Vaughn. You know, I, I think, um, I think one thing that's kind of come out during all this, and it's not to knock Steve Nash. I really enjoyed covering him. To, uh, all things considered, you know, when you're someone like me around the team every day, you know, Steve Nash is a very nice, humble person, and you could have you could have pick worse people to spend an entire NBA season relationship. But I, I think his um, flaws, or even just lack of previous head coaching experience, has kind of come out in some ways. You know, you know, Steve Nash was a big proponent of you know when he was in Phoenix, how Mike D'Antoni knew when to like let the system evolve. And, and let the players kind of figure things out themselves. I, I think that there might have been too much of that under Steve Nash and not, you know, a quick, a quick example, you know, 
there was obviously a lot of talk of Kyrie Irving kind of waving off Steve Nash towards the end. One of Jacques Vaughn's first games, Jacques calls a play, Kyrie starts to run something else. Jacques Vaughn calls immediate timeouts, like, nah, we're not, this, this ain't happening anymore, you know? So, um, so I, I think that his influence, you know, him simplifying things and being able to connect with the players has clearly come out. I think it's also worth noting, you know, the amount of guys the Nets have brought back from long layoffs from Ben Simmons, Joe Harris, TJ Warren, Seth Curry, you know, a lot of those guys, it wasn't going to look pretty immediately. And, and you start to see some of that get better, especially Joe Harris. Um, as you, you know, something else that, that was brought up to me yesterday was that you mentioned Kyrie specifically, you know, with their shot making. I, I felt like kind of towards the beginning of the year and even a little bit after the suspension, Kyrie kind of became invisible. You almost thought that he, you forgot he was out there. You know, he would score, but it would be like an empty 20 points or a, the joke I made was a Minnesota Andrew Wiggins 20 points. Um, the real ones hopefully found that funny. Um, doesn't look like you did, Seth, but it's okay. Um, um, and I feel like now his baskets are more impactful. I, I feel like you, you, you're constantly aware that he's out there the whole time and not forgetting about him. So he, he's been bought in. And I, I think they've benefited from the schedule also. And, and I think it's worth pointing out their defense. If you remember that, that first year in Brooklyn with the super team, the talk was going to be, can their defense be good enough? And I think it's still a, a conversation. But I never really thought it was practical for them to be, you know, a top five defense or a team like a Utah or a Boston, whether, you know, high, highly ranked in both just based on the roster build. And they've been around, you know, the, the low teens, I want to say, you know, around 12th or maybe a little past that. And I think that that's a more realistic number or area than than that top half. So I, I know I just gave a whole sermon, but that's kind of my uh, I that I feel like there's a lot to unpack, and it's not just one specific reason as to how they got here. Um, you know, the, the coaching stuff is always is always hard because it's it's you know you you uh, you you for example you do wonder how many uh, <laughs> how many bites at that at that apple does Jacques Vaughn have to 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 say no we're not doing that here to the star players. Um, it, or if, if really like the, 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 the dramatic events have, have fundamentally changed like the, the power structure essentially, uh, around the team. But, um, so I guess my, my, so I guess I wanted to talk more about the players themselves. And, and I think the, the natural place to start is probably Ben Simmons, um, you know, it was it was it was un. I gotta say, it was uncomfortable to watch him when he first came back. Um, what has changed for him? Yeah, and I, I would argue, you know, he's not out of the woods yet. I mean, you talk about the the rust factor. You know, I, I think I think a big thing that's changed is is the you talk about Jacques simplifying things. I think the beginning of the year, trying to incorporate him was such a key um, aspect or, or I'm trying to think of the word to use, but I, I think in short that the Nets were trying to kind of force find how to incorporate Simmons at the beginning of the year, and it was pretty ugly. And I think now they've kind of gone about their business and trying to find ways to, to you know, insert him in and where he kind of fits, and it's come more naturally instead of, you know, almost by force. And I think that's definitely helped. You know, has he looked great the whole time? No, you know, as you said, the start was ugly. You know, he has that injury just as he was starting to get into a good groove. And, you know, I feel like he hasn't really hit that groove again since. 
But um, but I, I think with him, it was it was more of a forced, you know, uh, square peg, round hole type thing in the beginning of the year. Whereas now it's more um, it's more kind of natural look uh, naturally looking for ways to kind of find where he fits. And you know, his, especially with this group of players, he's going to be a a a you know a, a person that that has to get fit in because. I don't think there's any way that we expect the ball to just be in his hand the whole time, do we? I I agree, and I you know I, I think with Jacques, he I, mean, I forget what part of the season was. It was early on, obviously, but he essentially said that he was trying to find ways to stagger Nick and uh, Nick Claxton and Ben Simmons minutes to try to see what works and what doesn't, and then try to find ways to get them out there together. And if you look at the the numbers, the the two guard lineups or the the two person lineups, and and you know. Adding on to that, the three, four, et cetera, with you know Nick, Ben, Kyrie, and Kevin, and and so on, have gotten better over the course of the season. So I think over time they've developed the chemistry and, and kind of had to figure it out. But I, I agree, you can only do so much with them off the ball. And I think Kyrie's better off the ball um, with Ben in the, with Ben being the primary ball handler. So I, I I think it's still you know he's engaged on defense. He's helped a lot there. He's getting steals. He's getting rebounds. But I still think it's a growing um, and evolving situation with how he fully fits in on offense. I, I can see that. It just it was just by comparison. It was like at the start of the year, it was this guy might be done. Like, and it wasn't just it wasn't just sort of like the the the, the mental issues. It looked like he frankly looked like a guy who had a bad back a lot of the times. Yes. And there would be, I think it was in Milwaukee earlier in the season, his, uh, he tweaked his back and you started to wonder even there, like, is this going to be a, a year long thing with him? And again, I don't think, I don't think we could speak in definitives yet with that either, because, you know, the Nets have talked about, you know, resting him on back to backs and, you know, you know, the jury's still kind of out when you ask them, is this going to be a season long thing? I think they're still very in the moment learning how they're going to handle him and his body the whole year to kind of have him fully healthy and engaged for the playoffs. Sure. It's, it, it, you do always worry with a lingering injury like that. Um, so I, I think that, that, you know, you mentioned a number of other players. Um, uh, and, and I think that just getting to the point where they could, they could sort of fill a roster with, with guys, you know, can play or fill a rotation. Is that, I mean, is, that's you know over over my time watching the NBA the the value of of kind of no bad players is is something that gets constantly reinforced. Is that you know when we're talking about Joe Harris and and Seth Curry and maybe and even you know to to some other players to an extent that they've they, they've they've come back and tri- contributed. Is that is, is that a big piece of it? I think so. You know their rotations have been interesting this year because you know I. Uh, Doing a mea culpa here, but at the beginning of the year, a lot was made about how the Nets have maybe one of the best shooting trios in the league, right? As I, or as I nicknamed the trio of Patty Mills, Seth Curry, and Joe Harris. Right now, you know, Seth Curry and Patty Mills are barely playing, um, and both of which make them interesting trade options, too. And you start to wonder, you know, what does that mean for the deadline and what could they flip those guys potentially for? You know, uh, but before the this is, would have been in the bubble. I remember Jeff Van Gundy saying how he never thought the Nets needed a third star and how they need just layers of players. 
And I think some of the best teams in the league with their depth, you know, whether that's Boston or Phoenix, you know, a year or two ago came to mind where, you know, they're, they're a little further back in the rotation, but those guys can still make plays and get them baskets. You know, I, I feel like that is the goal. And I think that's the real question right now is in a playoff, if a play, if the playoff started today, how many of these guys can the Nets count on to produce and contribute? And, you know, Markeith Morris to me has been great despite only averaging, you know, a dozen minutes a game or so. You know, what would that look like in the playoffs? And, and they've also expanded the rotation a bit as a way to try to manage the workloads of Kevin Kyrie, Ben, because of his, with the issues we just mentioned. You know, some of these other guys coming back from layoffs, you know, they, they've gone down to that 10-11 range at times to try to make it easier on them. Obviously, that doesn't really happen in the playoffs. So that's why I wonder about the deadline and what they do there. Obviously, they have limited assets to work with, so they can't really screw this up. And... You know, I, I think that they're still trying to figure out who can we count on, you know, what's the context in which we use them. You know, I remember even in the early parts of the winning streak, Jacques Vaughn said in a press conference, goes, look, we're still figuring this all out. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that even with this win streak, that still rings a little bit true, given all this stuff we don't know. For sure. No, you, I mean, it, it, you brought up, I think, I think Seth Curry is a very interesting, like, a very, you mentioned not having a lot of assets, but I think, there's the, he, he is certainly a, a, a player type that it seems like um, teams could use. Like there are, I, th- I feel like there, there are teams, there are teams out there that have designs on things that are short of shooting. Now he's not a perfect player, but I think over his career, we've seen him do well enough in the postseason that you can count on him to, to be a, to be maybe not a, a star in the playoffs, but someone who doesn't necessarily who gives enough on offense to not get played off the court. No, I agree completely. It's funny, you know. There's the whole thing with in the NBA, you can't have enough shooting, but it seems like, especially with the way the Nets' offense is operating right now, that's the case, and that's why you wonder. You know, obviously Joe Harris is the biggest salary of those three at around twenty million. He can bring you back the biggest quote unquote you know impact player in terms of dollars. Um, but again, he's one of their, also one of their bigger players on a team that lacks size and, and girth. So Seth Curry, as you said, you know, he's on an expiring, he'd be a rental, you know, what can that get you back and, and what deal are you doing with a team to, to offload him in a sense? Cause obviously if you're trading a fellow with a fellow contender, you know, uh, what's a piece that they don't, that they are, are okay getting rid of, but would be, still be an impact guy for you in the playoffs. You know, that's always an interesting game to play. Patty Mills, again, you know, he's another one where he has plenty of playoff experience from San Antonio, and he's still shooting it well this year, even though he's barely playing. So I don't um, – I, I totally agree that Seth can help a playoff team, and I, I, I wouldn't just give him up for the, the – uh, just give him away for nothing or, you know, a, a few cents on the dollar just because – he has helped them win games. You look at their win in Los Angeles against the Clippers. He got hot real quick, and that was that. You know, there have been a number of games where he's really bailed out the offense when they're not really getting much else after Kevin and Kyrie. So that, that's what makes it interesting to me is if they are going to go that direction, what are your options and, and what are you getting to upgrade? Because, you know, I, I thought the Nets' playoff exit last year from the Celtics kind of showed how – they lack a lot of two-way players. And, you know, I thought when they played in Phoenix last year, again, I thought that even the, the Suns' defensive-oriented players, quote-unquote, could still score for them. So I, I think the goal is if they're going to offload some of these, quote-unquote, offensive guys, 
for a defensive one, can that guy still get you a bucket uh, if need be and not be as much of a liability on that side of the floor if, if the situation calls for it? How much does the emergence and of, of Udo Adenabe, like address some of that? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because obviously he missed 10 games from that hamstring strain. And, I mean, he's an easy guy to root for. You know, I, I think it's been really, really cool to see the, the Japanese media – uh, from overseas, you know, at a ton of games and always interviewing him. You know, it, it reminds me when I covered the Yankees for a summer, how all those uh, all these outlets would d- d- come in to New York to see Tanaka pitch. Um, you know, I, you're the front office guy, uh, so you, his contract does not become guaranteed until January. There's nothing the team can do to move that date up, right? There's no reward on that with a non-guaranteed deal, I want to say, correct? I mean, I don't. I, I don't know why you would. I, I, I mean, yeah. you, can, you can, you can, I mean, I, I, my, you can choose to guarantee it anytime you want. Um, okay. I, I didn't know I, if that, I didn't know how much of a, a locked in thing that was, but, but to your question, you know, he's back and he's still keeping this up. I, I think he's shooting like 71% on corner threes. And I, I definitely think that's helped. You know, I would also look at history and just say, you know, Bruce Brown last year shot 40% on corner threes. And it seems like, you know, they've had a guy on the team each year, that, you know, the defense, because of what you have out there with Kevin and Kyrie, the defense kind of banks on or, or dares another player to, to beat them from three. And last year was Bruce Brown, and this year it's been Udo. You know, at what point in the season are defenses going to start giving Udo a little more respect is where I kind of wonder. So I, I is, think he's playing. It's not a bad thing if they do. I think, oh, I no, think it's the, not. It's not. No, yeah. by, by any means it's not. It's just it's been interesting to me because – Again, like he, Bruce Brown was only around 40% this year. Yuta is, is beyond 50%, and that's why it's like, well, when are you going to get the memo at this point? But, again, from a defensive and an X and O standpoint, I completely understand it. I, it. It's a great problem to have if you're the Nets. I don't think it's a bad one at all. I mean, obviously he's not going to – I mean, if he continues shooting at volume, he's not going to hit 53% of his threes over the course of the season. I think that's – No, that's, no. That's but, reality. But, I mean, he's – but he is – like, as you say – he doesn't have to shoot the crap out of the ball for that much longer for him to be kind of on the scouting report as, you know, as a don't leave, you know, in, yes. in, in Milwaukee, the terminology was, was no shifts, no digs. It basically means you don't, you don't do the little help stuff off this guy. Um, and, and I don't know how, how much longer, or how many shots it has to be before that kind of becomes the book. But if it does, I mean, I think that's the kind of thing where you start to get real, spacing value from a guy beyond just the fact that he's, you know, banging all these shots. Yes. Yes. But to answer your original question, I would say, um, um, it's definitely helped. And I think it's definitely given them some flexibility with, with some of the moves we've discussed or hypothetical options they have, uh, that maybe they didn't go into the season expecting. Speaking of, of shooters, is it fair to say, I mean, uh, you know, Two years ago, Joe Harris had kind of a, 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 a rough playoffs, it's fair to say. Um, yes. Last year, you know, completely wiped out by injuries. Yes, uh, got hurt in November. Yeah, fair to say that he's not all the way back yet? I think that's fair. You know, I, I forget the stat. I'm going to butcher it a little bit. Um I think he was like 19 for 31 from three in a recent game stretch or something like that. He, he's improved over the course of the season, but he's definitely not as automatic as he used to be. 
I, mean, um, I can drop some stats on you there just to, to illustrate. Yeah, like it, it's, yeah, go it's ahead. Like he's shooting 37.5% from three on the year. If you look at kind of the mix of uncontested and contested threes he's taken, and you, you know, you, 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 impl- you impute his career averages on those kind of shots to them, he'd be at like 44%. So he's shooting fine, but about 6% worse than you would, you'd maybe expect quote the Joe Harris if he's the if he's kind of the pre-injury Joe Harris to shoot um you know it's, that's that's fi- like you know if he's if he's hitting 49% of his uncontested threes that's like deadly and you know 42% which he's hitting is good but it's you know it's degrees and it's you know the ability to be a movement shooter and and on all those things that that have have made him kind of one of the more under, underrated players in the league it's like he's not there's nothing wrong with what he's playing now, he's just not kind of the level they need him. Yes. No, I, I completely agree. And I, I would say, offensively speaking, Joe going back to what he was pre-ankle surgery, in addition to Ben, is what really raises their ceiling as a team overall right now um, without making any moves. And, again, you, you know, you kind of wonder, too, with Joe. I mean, obviously when, you know, he had two stars that were both shooting threats – in uh in either Katie Kyrie or James Harden that season that he was in the regular season you know one of their most available guys in a year full of injuries and whatnot and obviously defense can guard you a little differently than when you have Ben Simmons or Claxton or some other non-shooters out there or more of them than before but uh but yeah I mean he look I mean as you said just from the eye test alone he's had a, a pretty good mix of uncontested threes and um and hasn't hit them at the clip he usually does so I think him getting back to um, him getting back to, or just even closer to what he was would go a long way for them. No, sure. It's just I'm just thinking back. Like I think that that is sort of one of the less remarked upon parts of that that Milwaukee series. If, is if like Joe Harris makes jumpers, I think Brooklyn wins that series fairly easily. Now, I mean, it's you know the ifs or what. After yeah. after that game, he said, "If if I played better, we'd be in a different place right now." Yeah. He owned it. I mean, but it's it, like I, I don't want to go too far down that road because okay, if he hit shots and Blake Griffin and Jeff Green were also hitting shots, it's like it's like yeah, some guys hit shots, some guys didn't. But at the same time, the guy you expected to be, I mean, he got some added, like. I you know live in Milwaukee, and there were some some from a a Milwaukee standpoint, there were some terrifying moments of Joe Harris catching the ball open and just not going in. Yeah, I forget what game it was. It was either six. I think it might have been seven, but there was a missed shot. I forget if it was by Kevin, and the rebound came out to Joe, and Joe Joe had a chance to end it. Uh, I forget if that was in the fourth or overtime, but yes, he had a chance to be the uh, the Sandman. Yeah. So, you, 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 I mean, you, you mentioned KD. So let, let's go there. I think, you know, we were getting to the part where, you know, Tim Bontemps did his first uh, straw first poll. Castle of, of straw poll. I, I don't remember. Yeah, I, I, as, as did I. I don't remember where I had him on it. Uh, I, it was somewhere between three and five, but Kevin Durant was on my ballot. Um, and I, I don't know if he's getting the credit for the season he's having and how just absolutely vital he's been to the Nets as, as he should have. I agree. Um, it is absolutely stupid right now. His, his numbers, I don't know if you have them in front of you, but like 
you know, he's he's like 57% from the field, I think. You know, he, I think he's over 60% on two-point field goals. Like, it is just stupid what he is doing right now. Um, you know, if you remember that that straw poll podcast to credit our friends over there, um, you know, they talked about how all of the drama in Brooklyn that's gone on over the years might be, um, you know, might be factoring into some of um, – into some of his, um, into some of that, that lack of talk, I guess is the way to put it. Um, I, I agree completely that he's having a, a ridiculous year. And I, I also even wonder if, you know, his injury history in recent years has also affected some of that because maybe people are anticipating him to get hurt or, um, or, you know, the, the net schedule and then all that stuff is also kind of maybe made people less of a believer. I, I for one, am very curious. You know, the Warriors they have tonight, um, they won't be without Steph or Clay, but I'm very curious to see how they do Friday against the Bucks because that opening, you know, uh, that game the second week of the season, I forget if I saw you there or not, but that wasn't really a competitive game. That, that is the Steve Nash got ejected game. In my mind, more than and Ben Nash. That's, is that's right. That's the Steve Nash like goes Colonel Jessup from uh, from a few good men as he's getting yes. ejected. I uh, I had a loop. I I think I referenced Lou Pinnell in my story that night. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah. So like I to me, I I kind of wonder if would the Nets beating the Bucks and or the Cavs, who they have right after Milwaukee in the next week further change the narrative because I think that, you know, they have, I think 10 of their next 14 games are against playoff caliber teams. And so I think that's when the real test comes in. If, if he keeps this up going into that and the buzz isn't there at that point, it's like, all right, what's really going on now? So I, I completely agree though that he's been under talked about and, and um, not given all of his due. And I, I really wonder, like, again, I'm, I'm one reporter in a, in a sea of them, you know, in one part of the country, I I do wonder why, in the bigger picture, that's not he's not getting more more talk right now. I think it I think it has as much to do with anything as the fact, like I said up front, like we we wrote the nets off. We we collectively as the, as sort of a, a, a basketball watching body, and like um, you know the team. I, I'm certainly a, uh, on the side of team success mattering a lot for those that kind of discussion. And when they were, you know, a 500 team, when they were, you know, bubbling in and around the play-in, it's just like, well, he maybe doesn't matter. But now they're, like you said, they're a home. They're they're currently in a home court spot, um, and and he is the single biggest reason for that. Um, you know, just to uh, drop a stat on you, I that. Since, since that's what I do, um, I basically have a, a measure of like expected points given, you know, the, the tracking factors that NBA.com has. Uh, second place in terms of most points over expected is Donovan Mitchell at about 123. Um, K- KD is 159 points. He's, he's basically a full game win worth of shot making above the next best player, the next highest player in the league. That is stupid. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's he that has. He you mentioned his his effective field goal percentage is up almost around sixty one. He has like the second or third toughest mix of shots in the league. Now, some of that is maybe you would hope he would get better shots, but but given the the overall thing the team has gone through, I mean, a little bit of is him having to do that, and in some ways the the Nets being able to put lineups out there that are based on. Well, we don't need to run the greatest offense because KD will get a good luck no matter what. 
Yes, and he's also bought in on the defensive end too. Um, you know, he he's at one point six blocks per game, which is a, a decimal off his career high. And uh, now my turn to impress you with a stat. Um, proof I did my homework for this. Um, Nick Claxton and Kevin Durant rank in the top ten in the NBA for shots defended. You know, as the closest defender. Um, and but among the guys that have defended at least four hundred shots, they are one two in effective field goal percentage allowed. So, in short, when when they're contesting, you know, it's tended to go their way. And again, that's not you know, we could go into the nuances of 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 how that's not how. I mean, I think all defensive related stats are frankly imperfect. Um, I don't know about you as the expert on that, but um, a well, lot no, of people you... I've talked to have said that it, they think it's an imperfect science to them when when figuring that all out, but. In short, he's also been a big part of their defense as well. No, I th- I agree with that. Like I have, I, I have uh, you know, a measure of rim protection and, you know, just overall value, um, which is looking more specifically at just shots at the rim, which are a little easier to, to assign, you know, credit to the guy defending them. They are uh, respectively um, position adjusted, you know, 10th and 18th in, in, in the league. In, in most in in the value of the rim protection they provided, and you know we're you're you're talking about KD on defense. I remember when we talked, uh, I think that maybe the last time we talked might have been right after the the Ben Simmons trade, and I think that that one of the reasons that I was sort of intrigued by the team after that is I thought a defense based on the front line of of Simmons, KD, and Claxton had some really interesting things about it, and and from what you're saying, it seems like we are starting to see that hasn't I don't think it's percolated across the whole team and the whole team's effectiveness over the course of the season but that certainly has to be at least part of this good run I agree completely you know all those guys are are long and and switchable um but I, I definitely think it's been imperfect so far and uh and as you said Joe there there's still the Simmons injuries have been a factor um and I I think that it's still it's still a work in progress on that front but Again, that that they're they're not a big team, and I think that one of the factors that's going to define them going forward is how much can they capitalize on the length they do have. And I think that those three are are I don't want to say all of it, but they're certainly a big part of it. Sure. So it's it. Mm, I'm I'm trying to decide how much I want to talk about Kyrie because I hate talking about Kyrie at this point. Um. He had a he had a you know tough game winner the other day against Toronto. I mean, yes. you mentioned him being invisible. Uh, you know, has, how is the just pure basketball? How, how has that come around? Yeah, you know, I I, I kind of go back to what I said earlier about um, about him kind of you, you you forget he's out there at times, especially in crucial moments in the game. And now you know you haven't forgotten him at all I I don't think that he he's having a a beautiful season by any means you know his his three-point shooting is 33 34 percent and he's usually a 40 plus guy and I I think that's really shown at times you know um for as much as they as they've gotten their act together offensively you know I I still think that you see them at times you know and and Kevin too is guilty of this but with the way he's playing right now I think he gets a little bit more of a pass of you know bring the ball up the court pull up three without running any offense you know, Kevin, right now, I think that's a bit more. Because we like to call it the Trey Young. I like that. I uh, <laughs> I wish I thought of that. Um, the Trey Trey. Um, they play the the Hawks next week. I might steal that. Um, but you know, 
I when Kevin's done it lately, it's like, all right, he can do whatever he wants because he's shooting like crazy. But, you know, Kyrie, his three-point percentage, I mean, it was worse than it is now. It was, you know, high 20s, I think, for a decent stretch to start the season before the suspension. So I, I think that he's been good. You know, he's he's rebounded, which has, um, you know, his his uh, 4.8 rebounds a game are the are the tied for the highest he's had since he came here. But I don't really count much of that. Um, well, he, that was part of his 50-40-90 season. I'm looking at it now. But, you know, he seems to be more engaged with the rebounding than uh, than he has before. And, you know, again, he's he's tried defensively. I mean, he hasn't, um, you know, he hasn't been like uh, like Gary Payton out there, but you can see he's engaged. So I I think most of it's good for now, and I'd like to think law of averages, uh, you know, that three-point shooting will kind of start to tick up again. But, um, you know, I'm afraid to speak in the declarative with him because you never know what's around the yeah, corner. Right, exactly. No, and, and the point with the defense, I mean, for, for a lot of these, you know, high-scoring guards, like – especially the ones that are on the, the smaller side, you're, you're, you're hoping, and you know, we see this has been a, a, a constant of Steph Curry throughout his career. It's been something that Donovan Mitchell has been better at this year. It's been something that Devin Booker has gotten, he's probably bigger than the rest of those players, but he's something he's gotten better at over his career is all right. You might, you might never be great defensively and we might be asking you to do too much offensively for you to, you know, be totally focused on that and just don't kill us. And that's yes. and it seems like that's that's kind of what's going on. I I agree. I agree. So, I guess the, like having gone through a bunch of the players, I um, you know, how how real is this stretch? Is this? I mean, we're we're in a really kind of odd period of the NBA where where you know the the Magic are on fire and the Knicks have won and are, are on fire and and sort of the, a lot of these teams that that uh, we you know aren't maybe aren't sold on the Sixers are uh, the you know, um, so there this has been I haven't I haven't studied this yet but this seems like it's been a a much swingier season in terms of teams being great and terrible and great and terrible and great and terrible. Um, um, so is, is this just the Nets kind of riding the ship or is this a good run and we're a week away from a, from a six game losing streak? It's a good question. You know, you kind of mentioned the standings. I, I think, I think they've kind of benefited from some of that swinginess. I think, as you said, I think a few teams have, because there was a point a few weeks ago where it was like Clippers, uh, excuse me. Uh, in the East, it was like Bucks, Celtics, and then Gap, and then a bunch of teams around 500. Gap, you know, a bunch of teams look bound for the lottery. And, you know, since then, as you said, the, the Knicks and Magic have kind of risen up out of that a little bit along with the Nets. So I I, I kind of thought that maybe the honeymoon would, would be a little over by now. But, you know, I, I keep pointing to these, these two games at the end of the week and early next week of Milwaukee and Cleveland because – you know, I, I think one of the things that's changed under Jacques Vaughn, the Nets had that atrocious loss to, like, the Sixers minor league team, the Bluecoats, in Philly, when it was, you know, Ben Simmons' return, it was going to be hyped, and then um, and then they end up losing down the stretch. I mean... Yeah, they had Shake you know, Milton's. That's right. That's right. He put on a show, too. Um, and they have the, the Warriors tonight, you know, where they will be without... I think Wiggins is doubtful in addition to um, the Splash Brothers. 
you know, Detroit on Sunday, they, they started out down 19. They started out in Toronto down 18, I think, or maybe those two numbers are flipped. You know, t- Detroit's a team where you think with the way they're playing right now, they'd kind of blow out end to end. And uh, I don't really believe in the whole excuse of, you know, we're going to get the other team's best shot every time out. Um, because to me, it's more than that at this point. So that's why, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical of kind of cashing all my chips in right now and going to the center of the table because, you know, you talk about the whirlwind at the start of the year. This has been first off. It doesn't really feel like December to me. It feels like March with just the way everything's gone storyline-wise. And as you said, there's been so many times at the beginning of the year where I thought, like, are they just going to blow this up by the end of the year? And they're tanking with their, you know, for a lottery pick. Um, are they, is it going to be a massive sell-off to now, you know, being on the other end of that? So I, I, I'm kind of taking it, you know, again, cliche coach mode of, you know, day by day, week by week of, you know, can they effectively do what the Knicks did to the Warriors last night and blow them out from start to finish? Um, what does the Milwaukee game look like Friday? What does the Cleveland game look like Monday? Then they get, um, then they get Atlanta and Charlotte, uh, and then San Antonio to start the new year, then Chicago, uh, New Orleans and Miami. You know, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how some of the, those bigger games in that stretch go and, and do they, you know, if they keep beating up on the, the little guys and, and beating the teams they should, if they hold that going into the playoffs, I still would be petrified if I was Milwaukee or Boston facing them. But I, I do think that, you know, for me to go all in, I, I would like to see them, whether it's on another Kyrie buzzer beater or, or more effectively than that, you know, give it to a contender to kind of show like we're, this doesn't just apply to the teams with less talent than us right now. Yeah, no, there's there's something that I like to track over the season, which is like, you know, how a team does versus teams that are, you know, on a 50 win pace and teams that are on a less than 35 win pace just to, you know, as, as a shorthand for, you know, beating up on the bad teams or struggling against the good teams. They're 11 and like one. Like a taking care of business status. Yeah. Yeah. They're 11 and one against the, the, the under 35 win pace teams. Uh, they're only one and three against now because of the kind of the bunched up nature of the season, there's actually kind of fewer teams in that group. Usually, it, it, usually that, 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 that kind of, it breaks into, you know, there's probably eight, eight teams in the top, about 12, 14 teams in the middle and about eight teams in the bottom. And right now there's a ton of teams in the middle and the bottom. Uh, and only think like uh, five or six in, in that top tier. So part of that is why they have played just fewer games, but they're one in three in the games against that like top group. And you, you know, you talked about three games upcoming against, you know, Milwaukee, uh, Cleveland, New Orleans that fall right in there. And I, and for, you know, for getting to the playoffs and getting a decent seed, you can do a lot of that by, you know, by, by bum hunting basically. Um, but to really feel like a threat. And and this has been something that's been demonstrable over the years. Teams that don't win at least 40% of their games against that top tier don't make the conference finals. They just don't. So like, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to like crush them, but you have to be competitive in those games. And I think those games are going to tell us a lot. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Right now, I kind of peg them as a team that can win a playoff series um, in the first round. I don't have them anything beyond that right now. Cause I don't think I have the sample size to, to warrant it. Sure. Um, so I guess the, the last thing is we've, you know, you talked about them, you know, what do they think they need if they are going to make a move? It's a good question. I, I think that they're, tr- you know, I, I think there's a very conscious um, understanding that they, that they only have so much to work with. And it's not like a team like, you know, maybe Orlando who has a ton of picks, 
and a ton of different young talent options to where they can keep certain guys and, you know, maybe you know, give someone else up for an upgrade. Um, you know, the, the John Collins trade talks for me to interesting, even though it didn't go anywhere. I am very adamant that I did not think that that was going to, um, going to make a lot of sense. You know, if you look at the first off, John Collins is shooting 21% from three this year. I, I, I know he's historically been a lot better than that, but, if I'm again, if I'm the Nets and I can't screw this up, that scares me. His injury history scares me, and the fact that he's playing a lot of minutes with uh, Cliff, uh, Clint Capella and Nyeka Nkongu, you know, if they don't look at him as a small ball center, why should the Nets? And you know, I, I know it's been a crazy year for Nate McMillan, but I do think he knows his stuff and has kind of proven that over time. So that did not make a lot of sense to me. That being said, I don't know necessarily what does. You know, do you? I, I think. Going back to my earlier point, and this is kind of more of a a generalization than like a specific player. Can they get a? Can they trade some of these offensive guys for a defensive guy that can still give them some offense? You know, some way, shape, or form. You know, it's funny. I, Javon has Jay, Carter has, has Jay Crowder come up at all as a you know that that I seems haven't like heard the, anything linking with them. No, I his name hasn't come up um, with um, with in, in the people I've spoken to. Um, on that front. Um, so, but he, he fits exactly that bill. Yeah. I was going to say, who do you like them to, to go and get her? Or what, what, uh, what would you say on that front? I mean, I think that's that. I mean, that's the obvious one. I think that, that he's sort of Crowder has sort of become the bell of the ball and maybe, maybe overstated the, the degree of impact he might make, but still like, like he's a player type that you can, you cannot have too many of, um, you know, if we're talking, there's the, you know, smaller players that would be interesting for them. We start talking about like a Kenrich Williams or a PJ, uh, PJ Washington, um, you know, sort of guys who maybe are, are swing forwards with some size and, and, and maybe some shooting ability. Um, seem, but they, like both of those are, are imperfect, but they might be available for, for for not a whole lot, maybe less so. Kenrich Williams, just because Sam Presti doesn't uh, doesn't doesn't lose trades, it seems like. So um, I don't know. Maybe I mean the, the the I think the player that would be really interesting for them, given his contractual situation, and I don't know how they get there, is Kyle Kuzma. Yeah, he's he's been someone that's floated been floated me for from people as a as someone that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I think Porzingis would be great, but he, he's just got too much money on the books for that to, you know, you've given up too much to get him. Um, I've even wondered, you know, um, I've gotten some flack for this and, um, I say it more as an idea than, um, than a, uh, a, uh, like a hard thing I'm set on, but you know, the, the big man market's interesting to me because I, I, I don't, I don't blame them for what they did just because. You know, they had all these centers over the hill last year and it kind of showed, you know, you, you couldn't really keep them all happy. And, and um, you know, it, it didn't help other aspects of the roster given that they were carrying, you know, four or five guys at, at once. Um, RIP the Paul Millsap as a net era. Um, <laughs> I always leave him out when, when factoring that in. But, you know, I you, you look at someone and I wouldn't give him up if I were Charlotte, but Nick Richards has quietly been good for them this year. And... He's on a cheap contract. It wouldn't require moving a ton. I just kind of wonder, is there like a guy like him out there, if they want help at down low, that isn't, you know, putting together the most 
jaw-dropping year, but has been effective and could um, could continue to thrive in that kind of role? And and is there just a, a big man that's not getting a lot of name, recognition out there, but but the the numbers and the analytics favor him, and he wouldn't cost an arm and a leg to give up, and could be that you know that bet that kind of pays in their favor. That again, I'm not married to it being Nick Richards, but like. That was my line of thinking on that just before you, like, potentially rip me to shreds. No, that's, uh, that's an interesting one. Like, Daniel Gafford is probably another another sort of idea along similar lines. Yes. Um, He's still on the floor from that KD crossover, though. <laughs> well, you know, he's, you could give, uh, get, rehab him a little bit. Um, <laughs> It's, you don't you, you put a center on KD. It's not it's it's not the center's fault if that happens to him. I don't think. Yeah. Um, it's I just wanted to, to you, you mentioned John Collins and I've tried to you know on this show I've tried to trade John Collins to half the teams in the league and the Nets are actually one of the teams I am less I would be less enthused about trading him to because part of the reason I think that a team should trade for him is I just think he's under he's just vastly underutilized misutilized in Atlanta. And it's it's been exacerbated now that they've gone from one guy having the ball all the time to two guys having the ball all the time. He's been, you know, with I, I like within the, between the two of them, Trey Young and Dejounte Murray have worked okay. It's just everyone else has suffered for it, and John Collins more than anyone. And I feel like dropping going from there to the Nets would be, you know, it would be a little Spider Man meme ish. In, in terms of of the guy who can who can do more than just like spot up and stuff like that, and I don't know if, if for him to be worth giving up assets for, you need to he needs to be in a situation where he can use those skills, and I doesn't seem like Brooklyn is necessarily the place where that would be most likely to happen. Yeah, I it's funny you know I um I shot down the trade idea in a mailbag and and um. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of the comment section that was ripping was kind of saying your thing of you know, um, you know, it's it's uh, you you know the the Hawks don't know what they have and uh, and and that's the bigger problem here than, than the list the reasons you listed. I I don't I don't think it's a bad argument by any means. I, I think beyond that, like the the injury history scares me because again they've had so much of it. Like some of that stuff's just luck, but um, you know, I, I'd be interested in what his medical looks like. Um, and as you said, you know, like I just kind of wonder. What's the lineup you put him out there with? Um, you know, they've got – we haven't even talked about Royce O'Neal on this podcast, but he's been a good acquisition for them, clearly. Um, I know that they kind of chose him over Bruce Brown, and Bruce Brown's playing great in Denver. But, you know, Royce gives them more size. He's been good defensively. Uh, I, I, don't think it's, I don't think they've lost that so far. But um, I just kind of like – if they were to pull that off, I'd be very interested in, to see – who does John Collins play around? You know, what's the lineups look like? And, um, you know, how much are they, you know, trying to get him in the corner for threes and space the floor with a true quote unquote small ball center than, um, than, you know, making him be a lob threat like he's been a lot of in, in Atlanta and whatnot. So, I, I, but I think that hit like maximizing him involves him getting some like, you know, face up looks from the top of the floor, let him attack closeouts some too, let him play in like yeah. DHO games and stuff. And I don't, Again, I don't, I don't see, I don't see Brooklyn as a place where that kind of deployment is likely to happen. Yes, I, I agree. I agree. I don't, I don't see that either, off the top of my head. Now, so, well, so one place that I'm not trying to trade John Collins. Um, is there anything else you think we need to, uh, we need to, to hit on about this, about you know, the, the, the Nets run, or is it just, you know. That from their standpoint, they probably hope they bobble along unnoticed for a little bit longer, and then all of a sudden they're in second place. 
Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I again, I, I'm kind of treating it week to week with this team just because um, um, I, you know, I, I'd like to prove that I've learned something from these past few seasons. <laughs> so, uh, it's a personal story. Um, you know, uh, the, the, um, the day before opening night, you know, I saw Patty Mills and he's like, you know, I, I sense a, uh, you know, a, a different vibe with this team from last year. You know, can, can you sense it too? And, you know, Patty Mills, one of the nicest guys in the NBA, um, you know, Australian celebrity, led them the bronze medal, tough guy not to like. I look at him with a, a straight face and said, Patty, do you know how stupid this team's made me look in recent years from, <laughs> from believing that the, the drama was over and drinking the Kool-Aid on that only looks stupid? Like, you know, I'm done making hot takes. I'm done making predictions. Like, let's just roll the balls out at this point. So, you know, um, I, I think the Nets are enjoying the, the kind of tranquility that they've lacked, you know, in recent years. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm very curious to just kind of see. And, and you know, we're, we're kind of putting the cart before the horse a little bit. But, you know, the, the things that I just kind of wonder about big picture are, is this team, you know, have they done enough? We ta- I talked about, you know, I thought at, at – points that they were going to blow it up at the beginning of the year with how, how ridiculous it got. Um, you know, this Kyrie, if, the, if he stays on course, you know, is there a world in which he's back in Brooklyn next year, despite everything? Because the, the thing that I keep going back to is if you let him leave, just where are those 25 points a game going to come from Cam Thomas? Like, you know, you look at the free agent class next year, James Harden's not coming back to Brooklyn. Uh, Vooch is a free agent. Um, Chris Middleton, like, I just don't know where you go. And so I, I think it's going to be very interesting of if the Nets are proving this year that, that they're, they're not worth blowing up yet, I guess. And they're not going to do a Blazers deal of, you know, tank this year for the lottery pick and try to retool around Dame Lillard. You know, if, if it doesn't work this year, but they've proven that there's still, you know, hope of a window, uh, what do they do and how do the moves they make in the coming months kind of give them some flexibility on that front? Um, if, if it is indeed open beyond this year. So that's why we play the games. And it's, it's, I think as, as kind of, as you've said, like this season has, has already made us looks like not just about the nets, but about a bunch of different teams, like look a little silly so far. So I think we just that like the, the, the responsible thing to do is uh, just wait and see. I, I not going to fight you there, my man. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alex, I appreciate you coming on as always. Uh, it's it, like, um, again, this is this is a team that's been off my radar a little bit, so it's 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 good to get sort of an update on on just how things are working there. Um, well, uh, I'm sure we'll the as as the Nets turn, we'll uh, go into a new season of production. You know, probably in in this in the early spring, and uh, let's let's chat again then. Yeah, I. Uh... I'm curious to see what the ratings have been on, on as the Nets turn the past few years and what they look like <laughs> the time we meet for uh, to write the next season. Well, thanks a lot, Alex Schiffer of The Athletic, for joining me. Thanks, folks, for listening. I'm back tomorrow with uh, Matt Moore to talk about a lot of things, including uh, player availability and what it means uh, for the NBA as sort of a, a business and entertainment product. Uh, talk to you all then. Thanks for listening.